This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Hey, welcome to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. I'm Nick Ashburn. And good morning, I'm Sandy Hunt. Hey, Sandy. Good morning, Nick. (laughs) We join you here live every Thursday morning from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, and we are replayed throughout the week, and you can find us on demand on the Sirius XM app. We have Luke here in the studio, who's the co-founder of Evil Genius Beer Company. Welcome to the show, Luke. Morning, guys. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Sorry, photo finish. My Uber was running way late. That's okay. (laughs) We all know Philadelphia traffic's not the best. Oh, yeah. But um, you and I met at an event that you hosted with a a local um, wealth manager, uh, Glenn Mead, and I just was really struck with the types of things and I think the genuine approach to social impact and sustainability that you all are doing at Evil Genius. So before we dive into the real technical aspects, let's let's hear your story. Who are you? Who's Luke Bowen? Uh, I'm a Scorpio. I'm, <laughs> I'm 35. I think we've uh, had, oh, 35. See, I said, I guessed you were 33. Ooh. I want to go into that later. Oh, thank you. But continue. All right, all right. All right. Um, Based only on the names of the beers. Really? Yes. Well, see, like we're kind of in that, like, you know, I was born in 82, so I'm not sure if I'm a millennial or right not. Right on the right? bubble. Yeah, so that's like, a, it's a photo finish. Yeah. But um, you're, you're a grandpa millennial, like Nick and I. <laughs> we're, we're, we're grandma and grandpa millennial. Oh, Technically, you in. know what? We get, we get um, sometimes, you know, you're in studio and, and a lot of our guests call in because, you know, we're in Philadelphia. It's, it's harder to get here. Um, and we often have guests say like, well, in the millennials, this, this, and this. And Sandy and I are always like, Don't tell. But the reason, I guess, I said to Nick, he's got to be exactly our age because the names of the beers, you've got Turtle Power, like the nostalgic stuff of our youth, and then a lot of sort of ironic millennial, I can't even, and some of these ones, I said, like, the sense of humor in the beer naming, this this person's exactly Well, that's like a part of who we are, right? So, like, um, I was always really into beer. Obviously, oh, always age <laughs> right, right. five. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's a big stretch. No, it's actually funny. Um, in college, I I, I was actually dating somebody uh, whose dad ran a huge brewery, and he was the first person I ever met that was like in the beer business. Because like, who does beer for a living? Right? It's like, oh, I play for the Flyers or the Eagles or something. Right? Right. So, um, it's like the the young person's equivalent of being a marine biologist. Yeah, exactly. everyone says they want to do it. It's no, it's the, the so nuts. college boys' dream. Of- yeah, exactly. So like, I meet this guy. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, teach me sensei, right? Like, you know, just show me, like, everything about the beer business. And um, I fell in love with it, obviously, because it's a lot of fun. Like, it's a really good – I mean, obviously, it's a business show. Like, it's actually a very, very good business. Um, So it was kind of not something I really decided to pursue. And then then I graduated from school and got a job for a while. There were air quotes there. Yeah, no, no. I've I've only – so this is actually um, in May. So in – Four days, it'll be 10 years since I've been employed by somebody else. Wow. wow. Which is pretty, it'll be my, my 10 year anniversary, which is the coolest thing I had. I kind of had like a quarter life crisis. I mean, I was working for a company, um, I, I won't mention it, um, but they, it wasn't the best place, especially talking about corporate social responsibility. I just kind of had like a, a moment where I just sort of freaked out and I literally just quit and just like walked out. And that was the greatest day of my life because <laughs> everything after that changed. And 
I went to grad school. Uh, I went to Villanova, which is mm-hmm. not far from here. Yep. And uh, I met my business partner, Lily, like my first day of school. He had just moved from Dublin, Ireland, like three or four days ago. And I randomly sit next to this guy and we start talking about beer and like not the stereotype, but the Irish know a thing or two about beer. <laughs> um, and so, you know, but but uh, the craft beer scene had just hit yeah. Europe at that point. And if you if you actually really think about it, like imports are really big before craft beer. So you had all of these European countries that were getting all this Belgian and German beer like way before we were getting it in the United States. Yeah. So there was already like a familiarity with that style of beer um, that was a little bit, you know, obviously a little bit more dynamic than fizzy yellow beer, right? Um, and so we just decided to kind of start this business. Uh, this was in t- we started school in 2008, right as the like literally two weeks before Bear and Lehman collapsed. But it was great for us because like we were like safe. All of our friends were like losing their jobs on Wall Street and all the stuff, and and we were kind of insulated in business school for a little while. And it was yeah. like, all right, as long as we don't fail out, we'll just kind of like <laughs> hang out for a couple of years and wait for the economy to figure out what it's doing. Um, and recessions are always a really good time to start businesses because it's very disruptive. Like most people are just trying to like get their feet out from under them. And if you see an opportunity, maybe it's an entry into a space that might not be there and under normal circumstances. So we were like, okay, well, beer's cool. We're not getting jobs. So like, <laughs> let's kind of go after this and see what happens. Yeah. You know, and, and it's interesting. So at that exact same time, I was working for Anheuser-Busch. Oh, wow. Briefly, brief stint, about a year. Um, I was it was based in Nashville, and I remember sort of all the market trends around craft beer yeah. at that time. And and at the time, I think there were partnerships with you know before they were acquired by yeah. AV InBev, with a lot of the European importers. So yeah. they saw the rise of craft beer. They were also importing a lot of the European beers and some of the Mexican beers. And um, you know it was really it, I feel like craft beer was kind of really getting established in about 10 years ago yeah um, and so you I feel like you had a relatively narrow window to get in without like I I've, I talked to Jacob Gray who was a former uh-huh. uh, colleague of ours and a um, and a host here on dollars and change and he was just like you know it could also be a saturated market at some point I feel like you oh, guys yeah. got in right you know at it was well established enough but not not everyone was doing it yet. yeah our timing was it was really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so I have a question about that. So craft beer is a – would it be defined as a luxury item because it has a higher price point? Yeah, it's than... a super premium pr- – I mean yeah. if you really – in the world of beer, like your Keystone Natural Light is yeah. like your sub-premium. Like your Budweiser, Coors Light, Bud Light are all like what's called like domestic premium. And then you have imports, which are a little bit higher than that, and then craft, which is in its like super premium Got category. It. So, how did you consider, you know, launching a product that was super premium in quality, and then of course higher in price because of it, coming out of the recession? Yeah, everybody told us we were really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> why, like, why didn't you believe them? Well, um, or I, are they right? I, no, I, I think <laughs> no, they were right too. I mean, you know, it's funny. Uh, you, you know, you talk about timing. Um, I talked to a lot of people that are looking to start breweries today and like, hey, would you do this all over again if you had to do it in 2018? And you probably not. Um, you know, we got really lucky. Uh, we launched in 2011. That's when we actually went to okay. market. And we were able to get retail distribution through like like wholesale and large chains. We were primarily with like Miller Coors and their distribution group. So most of our distributors also distribute Coors Light and Miller Light and Sam Adams, Dogfish, that kind of thing. Um, and Kraft was kind of on the up and up. So distributors, which traditionally shun craft beer, they're really focused on their imports and domestics, were a little bit more interested 
in carrying these products that were kind of new and hyped up. So we were lucky in the sense that we were kind of early enough in the wave that distributors were still really interested in talking to a lot of different breweries. Um, and I think our business background helped. I think we were able to go in and actually speak their language about how we were going to go to market. And here's this product that's not only very good, but this is how we're going to get it out into distribution and things like that. So um, I think that gave us definitely an advantage. Um, it's a lot harder now. Um, I mean, we're lucky in that we're established. Yeah. So like when we want, want to go to a new market, people m- usually have heard of us and that's like a good lead in yeah, or but, you've got the data to say yeah, here are sales yeah totally you know? exactly but yeah no it's uh timing's really everything and and it probably probably now would be a, a tough time to do it but the people who are in it actually are seeing some really amazing growth so so, so you, your background really is quite interesting given that you had some business background um maybe not a brewing background whereas i have friends back home in kansas who did start a microbrewery like a gastropub type of thing they come from the food world, and they were really passionate about beer making. Didn't know anything about business, though. Yeah. So how did you ramp up? I mean, you had the your ex-girlfriend's dad. Yeah, who's still a friend, actually, and she's still a friend of mine. But but how did you ramp up on sort of the product and actually the science and, and you know, I don't know what you All call it. All the technology. And- yeah. yeah, well, it's funny. I was a home brewer, too, like forever. So, okay. like, I brewed at home, but, like... I mean, just like your friends at the restaurants, like just because you make a good lasagna doesn't mean you should open an Italian restaurant. Right, right, you know right. what I mean? Like it doesn't quite work that way. Um, so yeah, I took classes and I brewed at home and I just, I traveled to breweries. Basically, I went to, you know, dozens, if not a hundred breweries and just met Pete. It's a very, very open business where people are willing to talk to each other about it what they do. It seems like it, yeah. Yeah, which is really cool. So in terms of like fact fighting, um, it was pretty easy to at least get, you know, get to a baseline level. Um, but when I think about, you know, what I know now compared to what I know net, then it's night and day. And it's actually scary because the more you learn, the more you realize you actually don't know. You know <laughs> what I mean? Um, but it was it was I think it was part um, I had some really great people to help me out. Um, I had somebody else to work with, which I think like starting I, I do a lot of these things about like starting businesses. And what would you recommend? I'm a partnership guy. There are all these there's this lone wolf like mm-hmm. entrepreneurial theory. Yep. That's really cool. I highly respect people that do that. But like all of my decisions aren't right. So like I had, I had this really great partner who was also like brought this other end of knowledge into the into the game with uh, with him, and it was just kind of a combination of different things. And then once we kind of understood the product and how the product was marketed and what we wanted to create, we were like, "Oh, okay. Well, this is this is like operations. This is how we do this." And like, I think business school is good. I mean, it doesn't it, starting a business in business school or very very it's a very contrarian view because like you come to like you go to school and they teach you how to go work for like an investment bank or like a consulting company and stuff, and like actually running a company and going like it's a completely different thing like yeah. it's totally different um but the good thing that that school does do for you actually is it inter- introduces you to concepts so like when you actually come to a crossroad you're like oh yeah that marketing thing i remember taking that and then you look back at it and it actually helps you overcome overcome some stumbling blocks so you get introduced to different concepts like managerial or like cost-based accounting and like <laughs> marketing and like oh hr because we have employees now and like what do business we do radio powered by the wharton school <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, but it makes me feel better. We do a lot of projects where we have our students working with companies and doing experiential learning projects where they're taking the hard skills from the classroom and actually using them 
And I feel I feel better about that hearing this because it's it's allowing them to put that application to use right away. Yeah, yeah, it's totally applicable. Like you should you should do it. You you can do it without going to school, but if you have the opportunity, you should because it'll it just it's it's all about speed, so it helps you do things faster. Uh, is, yeah, because so. that learning curve is is pretty steep, but you can go up it faster if you have some sort of foundation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things we love about Evil Genius, and one of the reasons we're excited to have you on, is that you guys are sort of like a a secret, fabulous social entrepreneurial venture. You're not super braggadocious about the things that you do socially. It's not a, you know, like you try to put that on every label and lead with it, and that's why it sells. But you, from the beginning, have had really thoughtful uh, practices around social impact, and they're not always cheap to do. So tell us why, from the early days, things like you know, using the heat from your brewing process to heat your buildings and having a wind-powered production facility, I think I read. Yeah, we yeah. use all wind power. Yeah so, yeah. so why did this matter from day one? Um, uh, Actually, believe it or not, like my parents, um, my parents are super conscious socially. Just that's just how I grew up. Like every, we, we all, you know, not to like oversell it or whatever, but like we all did things as a family and thought about things as a family in a way that was very socially conscious. And that's just part of my belief system yeah. for better or worse it's just kind of what i believe in for better no 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 <laughs> i think agree. no no sure i mean <laughs> all th- all things considered especially now but um but uh you know so like as we were developing our business uh trevor was very much like that as well like like he's also like a good human you know so when we were doing all of these things and and you know learning a little bit more about you know what our business was going to be there were definitely conversations that we had with each other that were like hey man like when we build a plant, these are the things that we want to do that are more ecologically conscious. And like when we have an opportunity to participate in things, these are the social issues that we care about. And then like when it's creating our team, like this is how we want to look at, you know, creating a diverse team and that kind of thing. And like because, you know, when we were at the Glenn Mead thing, um, you know, they, you know, people are doing impact investing now, actually, like people are really realizing significant financial returns from it too. So it's not one of these things where it just makes you feel good about yourself. Like you can actually do both. You can actually do well financially as well as, you know, make investments in ways that sort of better, your, you know, the world. If I know that sounds really meta, but like no. there's a, there, there, there's a lot of truth behind that. Yeah. So that, that, that really is a big piece of who we are and what we actually believe in. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. And we're talking to Luke Bowen, who's the co-founder of Evil Genius Beer Company here in Philadelphia. And Luke, um, you showed a slide when I was at that presentation um, that sort of helped the audience really understand a broad supply chain around and how sustainability really fits into that. I mean, you don't have to go absolutely step by step, but help our listeners better understand, like, from sourcing and transportation and production and all of these things, like how sustainability might pop up in a lot of those areas. Yeah, absolutely. So like beer, um, first of all, like beer is made from grain and hops and water. So these are products that come from the earth, right? So like, you know, sustainable uh, farming practices and, you know, proper treatment of water and uh, the minimization of water pollution, you know, are really important things. Like beer is 96% water. Um, So clean and reliable sources of water are just extremely important. And as global warming, you know, obviously you have all these breweries that uh, West Coast breweries like Sierra Nevada and um, Stone and uh, New Belgium, like they built breweries on the East Coast. Like, yeah, that was kind of for shipping, but like they all did it in Asheville and like the Appalachian Mountains have a lot of that's, that's like a sustainable water supply and yep. there's no water in California. Right? Right. So, right. so like that makes like a huge difference. And then 
when you talk about buying grain, like we buy thousands and thousands of pounds of grain like a month. Like it's crazy. Yeah. Like like we probably between all the breweries, you know, in the probably we buy like 180,000 pounds of barley a month, something like that. Wow. Um, and so, you know, that needs to be farmed and sourced responsibly. And then it has to go on trucks, which burn gasoline. And like, there's this whole thing too. So when you really talk about everything that goes into making, making a beer, it literally starts in the ground, water and barley and hops and stuff. And then it ends up in a glass. So all of those things that occur in between, it actually touches like so many different parts of the economy that there are ways, even though we're not a super huge company, we're not integrated to the point where we like we have our own farm and we make our own sure, bottles right. and things like that. But there are different choices that you can make along the along the supply chain that actually can really provide a benefit. And like they're incremental, but that's what things are. It's like you make a bigger impact when you do a lot of incremental things consistently. And yeah. Sandy, I, I mean, I think that's what we why why I love that example is it really does highlight. Even if you just choose one, like you're going to have some sort of impact. And, and it's nice to be able to build that over time and, and see how you can be more impactful throughout those different parts of the, the supply and value chain. But, you know, that's sort of, I think, what we really talk about here on Dollars and Change. Yeah, absolutely. And was it a hard decision if some of those things cost more? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, uh, for instance, um, we talked about um, the we have a radiant. So in our brewery, we have a radiant heating system. Like our brewery is has like thirty foot ceilings. It's an old manufacturing building, and just using you know gas based forced air would have cost a fortune to heat the building, and we would have just used up some of the utilities. So we spent a tremendous amount of money ripping up the floors as we were redoing the building. We've got about fifteen miles of pipe underneath that we basically pump hot water that we use for brewing. I mean, that's what a brewery is. Basically, all you do is heat water all day. Yeah. That's basically what you do. Um, and so we have all this, basically, this basin of hot water. So let's just kind of reuse it. So in essence, like, yeah, that costs a lot of money up front. But the back end, you know, we were lucky. Like, we have a real long view of this kind of stuff. Yep. So we said that, okay, well, we're going to spend this money now because in our payback period, because we went to business school, we could do the math, <laughs> right? So our payback period is this. And then afterwards, it's, like, basically free because yeah. we're using, like, a waste, you know, a piece of waste as, like, an input. Um, and then, yeah, like, we buy all of our energy um, electricity excuse me, from a wind farm in New York State. Uh, I think they're just north of Cooperstown. And, yeah, that costs a little bit more. But, um, like, not, not that much. It's better, like, again, if you talk about, like, where your values, value system is, like, dirty coal versus renewable yep. energy, like, that That to us, like, the cost difference in what we pay per month is insignificant, really, when you think about, like, what the overall impact is, because we use a lot of power because, you know, we're a brewery. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, Boiling uh, all that water. Exactly. And a lot of that is, is gas and electricity. So, um, yeah, I mean, these are decisions that, yeah, are sometimes not financially, you know, if you're just looking to save the most amount of money, you won't make every one of these decisions. But technology has actually gotten to the point where it's green in both ways, like sustainability wise is also monetarily because, you know, you can do these things up front and they actually save you more money on the back end. You just have to be willing to do the outlay initially. Right. So. And and so we've talked a little bit about sort of your supply chain, your operations, your hiring is kind of interesting too, right? Yeah, I mean, in a way, like, you know, cause, well, my partner's in, he's an immigrant and, you know, he's been, you know, and I'm, I'm half, like my, I'm half Armenian. So like my family's only been here for not all that long either. So, um, I still had family members that like, you know, were born in other countries that I grew up, you know, and that kind of thing. And having my business partner be first generation, you know, he's, he's applying for citizenship. Like his brother's been here. Um, having a European business partner has definitely given me a totally different perspective on like everything that has to do with, you know, how you build your team, 
general HR practices like vacation time and stuff. And not that we sought this out initially, but yeah, we have people who work for us from all different countries and all different genders and nationalities and like I said, sexual orientations. Like we know we're not, you know, men, women, millennials, older people. Like, you know, we have a pretty broad spectrum of, you know, people who work for us because from a perspective, you know, from 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 a point of view standpoint, you need to get all those different people's perspectives because they're going to bring something to the table that maybe you haven't thought of. And then like 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 women are a huge growth segment in craft beers. So like we need to make sure that we have our teams not just all guys. Like we need to make sure we get women's input yep. on like what trends are and like what people are drinking because you know the market's just expanded so much. And I think you know we take a broader view with that kind of stuff. And um, I definitely give Trevor a lot of credit for that, my business partner, because. Um, you know, that's more of what they do in Europe. And even though that was part of our ethos, like he was like, no, this is the roadmap and this is how we should really put this together. And I, I think it's worked, <laughs> it's worked out pretty well, I think. So, yeah. so any, that... any beer trends? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm part of either the solution or the problem, What depending on uh, how you well, look this, at it. The solution. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when it comes to hiring such a diverse team, you know, getting down to brass tacks, is there anything you do differently in the hiring process? No. No, I mean, we're just lucky that because of the beer business being so universally well-known and accepted, like, we we always end up hiring the best candidate. Like, we don't ever look for this person or that person to fill out our team. We've just, like, it just kind of worked out that, like, the best people for different parts of jobs have come. Like, you know, we we have some people that work on our sales team that came from the uh, large breweries. A girl that works for us uh, worked for Kellogg's for a while. And then somebody else worked for Miller Coors and came to work for us. So it's like we've been able to kind of pick and and find these people that, you know, have the right knowledge that we need, but also bring a really cool perspective to things as well. So do you think, or do you know if they were sort of attracted to your values in your company? I mean, I maybe I know they stayed because of it, you know, which I think is tensions huge. Oh, yeah. yeah. Especially yeah. in that industry. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think they've stayed because of that. And you know, when we have jobs, like, you know, the very first job we posted, I think we got like 10 applicants or whatever. <laughs> and we, we just posted one the other day for in operations. We got like 300 in like a wow. couple of days. So it's like, it's one of these things that um, we talk a lot about that to our employees now or to prospective yeah. hires is like, Hey, this place is cool. Like we have a record player in the office and like we do, we party a lot as a team and we do a lot of social events. And like, this is a fun place to be and we're not super strict or, I mean, obviously we have a business to run, but um, you know, we're not really rigid in that way. And I think that that attracts a different kind of employee, somebody who doesn't need that structure to perform well. But if they, you know, if they're in that environment and they're self-started, they can overachieve. So those are the types of people we attract. And, those people come from everywhere, you know, so you just end up finding the best people who also happen to have these diverse backgrounds because that's sort of the environment they're seeking, you know. So cool. Um, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about how you, how, when, why you brand and sort of promote these social values to your consumers. Um, Because we see companies who do it insincerely, who aren't actually doing that much, you know, making that much social impact but put it all over their packaging and their branding and then you know towards the other end of the spectrum you guys do i think a ton more than i would know buying a six-pack yeah i mean it's it's we, we talk about that internally you know it's like you know 
like, do we want to brag about it? Like, you know, what? I mean, when you come to Evil Genius, you know right away. Like, if you come and you see our space and you go on a tour and you talk to our people, like, we walk you through all of those elements when you're in our place, for sure, because obviously we're very proud of it. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, there are some other companies that really promote this. Like, I don't know if you guys know about a company called, like, Sierra Nevada Brewing Company mm-hmm. in Chico. Like, phenomenal company. Like, yeah. like, everything they do is just, like perfect and like off the charts and like if you do it to that level yeah please tell everybody because like it's really really incredible like they do an amazing not a bad job beer no no really good beer and just amazing amazing job there um but yeah i mean i don't know it's just one of those things that we talk about and you know maybe we could do a little bit more of it but like the stuff the people that know know and you know when they come in we can tell them about it and i think people are making buying decisions now and based on like socially conscious oh. businesses. So, you know, maybe it's something that we could explore, but it was, it was just something we just want, we were going to do it anyway. So yeah. it's like, yeah, if we we're going to tell people about it. Sure. That's but great. Well, and, now uh, our listeners know. <laughs> yeah. And so going back to what Sandy was talking about at the top of the show, uh, you got in terms of marketing, the names of your beers, like they're delicious. I will vouch that they're they are hilarious. delicious beers, but Thank they you. have great names. Like, so tell us a little bit about some of the names and how you guys have fun with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, okay, so this is a business show, so I, I won't give away all my secrets. But basically, like you know, there's there's like um, nostalgia is a very very powerful you know emotional driver, right? Yeah. So if you find something or you hear a brand or you listen to like a song or something, like how many times are you in the car and you listen to a song, you're like, oh, I remember when I was at the beach Absolutely. with all these people. Oh, I, like, lo- I mean, I love music because it takes you right back to where that my was college a best place. friend Courtney. Shout out to Courtney. She's listening. May- would make a playlist of like the party songs every year, and if you listen to them, you're like. 2007 like you can just <laughs> you can hear you're like yes transported so yeah so for things like you know we name beers like new phone who dis or like picture it didn't happen you know what i mean so so it's it's all of these things that are colloquial that that people recognize from other parts of their lives totally and when i saw the turtle power one i was like i need to buy this for both of my brothers right and, and that's you know as a new brewery that maybe doesn't have 30 years of experience you know being a brewery you know, we need something to get people to notice us. And like, it's also very genuine, too, because that's just who Trevor and I are. Like, you know, I mean, we there's no real magical process. Like everybody in the company can suggest names for beers and people do it on Twitter and Instagram all the time. And like they literally when we first started, it's it's so stereotypical, but we literally had a whiteboard in Trevor's basement where we would write names on and then we'd come time time to name a beer be like all right man what what do we have on the board let's see i mean a little bit more sophisticated now but um but yeah i mean we're always always messing around with that it's fun to order them so i was at a i was at a an event a couple weeks ago and i think you guys had generously donated some some beer and it was weird to go up to the bar it was fun but it was weird with the older bartender to be like Picture it didn't happen. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> but it's fun, uh, and and perhaps after a couple other more beers, it was much easier and, and even more fun. Yeah, yeah, but that and we see that all the time, especially at beer festivals. Like, you know, it's it just that's the part to me that's that's hilarious. And like beer, beer should be fun. Um, I mean, that's it's obviously it's a social product. It makes people pleasant. You know. And, um, you know, I mean, we make craft beer, so it's a totally different market. You know what I mean? So the people that are drinking premium beers like ours drink them for the enjoyment, not for just the extreme inebriation type thing. Yeah, I was going to ask how you think about that aspect of the social identity. Like you're making alcohol. Alcoholism is an issue. Overuse of alcohol. So how do you guys approach, tackle, think about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, we don't make like Swedish fish vodka. You know what I mean? So like it's it's a I, I rationally. So I do think about that sometimes and I rationalize that in my own head. Like, 
if sure there's always there's always a an element where in the alcohol space there's propensity for abuse it's sure. a substance right yeah. like i make a drug for a living i make like that's really what i do mm-hmm. um but at the same time like we we sell a premium product so if 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 you're if if you are alcohol dependent you're buying a pint of vodka you're not buying a 12 dollar six pack of 4% beer like it just doesn't it doesn't pack enough punch right so there's there's that where it's like okay we have to be make sure that we're responsible in how we market and promote like we don't promote to young people like that's not what we do um but also at the same time like yeah like you know adult we're all we're adults and adults should be able to enjoy craft beer and you know i should be able to sell craft beer and not really think twice about it and um yeah it comes up morally but then there's enough things that we do on the other spectrum that like that's not our market like underage people or you know that kind of thing so it's like i don't really have an issue with that at all nice good and so we are here at the end of our segment um it goes fast but you know what advice would you give um you know burgeoning entrepreneurs whether they're in the sort of consumer packaged goods space or otherwise uh when as they're thinking about starting their business um Uh, do it first of all, um, because like I think action is really important. So most people talk, "Oh, someday I'm going to start a business." It's like, nah, dude, just just do it. Um, and you know, don't you, like it's going to happen where because um, it happens to everybody. Like your girlfriend or boyfriend is going to leave you or be pissed off at some point, and you're going to lose friends. And like it's just it's going to happen because you know people just don't understand what occurs along the journey from start to finish and you just have to be really mentally tough to be able to deal with all the ups and downs um and i think mental preparation for any entrepreneurs is just as important as anything else because you're going to struggle with very important decisions that you're going to have to make very quickly that's also that are also going to have long-term ramifications and impact on your life and potentially other people's lives and like not to get too deep with it but like you know my dad was really cool um because he he's an artist but he he also runs as he's a successful one um so like when he when he couldn't give me financially because like we started this was our my like we, we maxed out a few credit cards sure. and i like, did sure. all that kind a of thing every, everything story. they tell you not to do but like dad was really great and like he told me he's like look you're going to go out on your own and this is what you're gonna have to deal with inside of your own head so just be ready for that and I think having a, a little bit of mental health training for every entrepreneur early on is really important. That's great advice. Because you're totally going to hit those moments. And if, you know, most people don't succeed, not because they don't have a good idea, but it's more of a war of attrition. Like they just beat themselves, you know. Yeah. And so the, the longer you can stay afloat, you know, keep your head above water and tread water, uh, better things are going to happen. And you're only able to do that if, if you know, you, you have your head on straight. So I, I would recommend that a lot for people. That's great. It's the first time we've heard that advice. We were just running the numbers. We think we've had something like, how many guests do we say? Like between six and 700. Yeah. No one's ever given advice to, like, really focus on the, the sort of uh, mental health process yeah. of the entrepreneurial journey. So wise words. Yeah, yeah. There's some great articles about it. Like, you can go on and, and, and read about it, like, online. Um, but, uh, yeah, super important. Great. So. Well, thanks so much. We've been speaking with Luke Bowen, who's the co-founder of Evil Genius Beer Company. If, if they're in your region, check them out. This is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 111. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.